Welcome to A Court of Three Strands, the Palatine Institute's podcast on creating Christian culture. Through this show, we hope to provide a resource of education and encouragement for students, parents, and leaders about the revival of Christian values in our community. On A Court of Three Strands, we'll focus on the three foundational strands that make a strong, flourishing Christian culture, the church, the family, and education. We desire to order these things around God's word to advance Christ's kingdom and so glorify him and bless our community. My name is Ron Young, headmaster of Providence Academy and founder of the Palatine Institute. And I'm Noah Tetzner, a curious student of classical education and podcast producer. Through our conversations, we look forward to sharing fellowship, knowledge, and practical wisdom for his glory here on the Quarter Three Strands podcast. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Well, hello and welcome back to Accord of Three Strands, episode two in season one, Burning Yet Flourishing, Arden said Virens. Uh, Mr. Young, today's episode is titled Where to Begin at the Beginning. What do we mean by the beginning? Yeah, so last uh, episode, we we talked about this idea of culture making and um so one of the questions might be, well, you stated this, but you haven't proved it. What do you, what do you mean? You need to go further on to culture making. What, what do you mean that Christians are supposed to be making culture? And, and I want to say it's not a Christian vocation. It is a Christian vocation, but it's not specifically a, a Christian vocation. It's a human vocation. It's what we were made for. So when I say the beginning at the beginning, I mean, the real beginning in the beginning, God yeah. created the heavens and the earth. I'd like us to go back to Genesis one and two and look at it as the foundation for culture. Me. So if we, if we start with just Genesis one twenty six, in Genesis one twenty six, it says that God made us in his image. He says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every living uh, creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So this idea is God made us for the purpose of having dominion over the earth, over everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so he does this by making us like him in his image and likeness so that we can have dominion. Now you might ask, well, what does dominion mean? Well, it essentially means a wise rule or yeah. a wise ordering of things. And so if we look at what happens in Genesis one, cause that's the question, like, well, how are we like God that we can have dominion? So we look at, We look at Genesis 1 and we see God um, and his creation in the the six days of creation. In the beginning, it's a a chaotic, watery mess, right? The earth was without uh, form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. 
And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So the first three days of creation are going to be just like this. Mm -hmm. God makes something, then he separates those things, and then he names them. Right. He's ordering it. Right. Day two, he's going to he's going to make an expanse between the waters above and the waters below. And he's going to call the, the expanse heaven or the sky. Um, day uh, three, he's going to uh, uh, take uh, waters uh, and gather them together in one place and let land appear. So he, he makes uh, dry land. He by separating these things and he calls the dry land earth and the, the waters that he gathered together, he calls seas. And, and he sees that it is good. So that's the other part. You, he, he makes these evaluative sentences. And then the next three days corresponds with the first three where he fills them. So the, 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 in day uh, five, which I'm sorry, four that corresponds with day one, he fills the, the day with the, the sun, he mm -hmm. calls a greater light. And uh, he fills the night with the uh, moon and the stars. Uh, he calls the moon uh, lesser light. And then day five, he, he takes the, the sky and fills it with birds and he takes the water and he fills it with uh, sea creatures. And then on uh, day six, he fills the land um, with uh, land animals. And finally, the pinnacle of his creation, he creates uh, man and mm -hmm. he sees that it's not just good. It's very good. Right. Right. So there are a couple things about this. One is, we are like God in this. Yeah. Like God, we can make things and we separate things and we name them. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so just think about this. Uh, Noah, do you have a, do you have a drawer for your underwear? I do. Do you have a drawer for your socks? Uh, they are the same drawer as are, a matter of fact. Are they all mixed together? Or are they separated? Uh, separated. You know why you do this? Why? Because you're in the image of God. <laughs> right. Someone decided I, I need a covering for my uh, feet and they made socks that yeah. kept them warm and uh, to put in your shoes. So you're, they're not scraped up or something and comfortable. And you have another garment that someone thought would be good to put over your bottom and not to get your, you know, all scratched up by your jeans, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so you, have, you have socks and underwear. And for whatever reason, people think, oh, I should keep my socks and my underwear uh, in a special place. And they develop things like drawers to put them in. And sometimes they're together. Sometimes they're in different drawers, but usually they're separated somehow. Yeah. Because that's what we do is we order things. We make things, we order things, we name things, right? Mm -hmm. I, when I walk into a Woodman's or, you know, a Festival of Foods or something like that, and I'm looking for some, you know, pepper jack cheese, yeah. Right. Cause this is Wisconsin. We're always looking for cheese. I should say Colby, right. Isn't that the state oh, yes. cheese Colby cheese? I want Colby cheese. Right. When I, when I walk into the store, I don't expect that there's going to be this massive chaotic mess of food in the middle of the floor. Mm -hmm. Everything's going to be an arranged in a certain order because we're made in the image of God. I know that um, I'm going to have to walk to the back of the store because everyone wants to get a milk product. 
especially in Wisconsin. And, uh, and they're, they want you to observe all the other things to buy, but really we want cheese. So we go to the back of the store yeah. in the dairy section. So we've, we've, we've taken all the things made by milk and we put it in one section and here's over, here's the milk and here's the, here's the cream and here's the cream, uh, the, the, um, you know, the cream cheese or whatever, and the butter and all the good yummy stuff and yogurt. And, and now here's all the, the rows and rows of cheese and, and they're separated into different things. There's here's all the white cheeses and here's all the yellow cheeses. Here's the cheddar cheeses. And, and here right in between those yellow cheeses and the white cheeses is of course the Colby cheese. The, the <laughs> oh, yes. Right. And no, I know how to get there. I know why it's there. It's because, because we're human beings made in his image um, we have made things called Colby cheese and we have separated things, the Colby cheese from the cheddar cheese and uh, the dairy products from the meat products and the meat products and dairy products from the, the grain products or the pizza products or whatever. That's the other staple of, uh, of uh, Wisconsin that brought pizza and cheese. Right. Yes. Um, and, and uh, we, we separate these things and, and we have names for them so that we can find them. Right. This is, this is, we're, we're like it. And we, we eat that cheese and we go, ah, this is good. <laughs> right. So not only do we make things, do we name things, do we separate things? We also evaluate things. It's part of, it's part of what it means to be made in God's image is this ability to make judgments, to evaluate things, to look at something and to say that if it's good or not, to taste something, whether it's good or not. Right. It's, mm-hmm. it's, we're like God in that. Now, just a, a brief little side note here. When, when God says that it's good, it's the Hebrew word tov. And tov means good in the sense it functions according to its purpose, right? Mm-hmm. So when God makes these things, when he makes the world and all that's in it, and he evaluates and saying that it's good, what he's saying is, is that everything that he made is functioning according to its purpose, And when he made us, when he made human beings in his image and likeness to have dominion over things, it wasn't just good. It was very good. This is the, so the world is meant to have human beings participating in it, making things, naming things, separating things, creating culture, creating. And and even when we put our uh, efforts and our, our gaze into the wild and begin to um, go in and take care of forests and trees. It's, we make it better. Yeah. We make it better. The the world says that human beings are a cancer on this earth <laughs> and, you know, in sin there, there's a little point to that. There's a lot of bad things that we do to things and, and our, and our, uh, our dominion isn't always good. Sometimes it is evil. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way God meant it to be is for, it, it was very good. We had God made us for that purpose of cultivating things, cultivating the earth, planting things. Right. Yeah. And, and here's the other part. No, you, you notice that how does he create? He creates with his word. Mm-hmm. God says this, God says, so the main actor throughout scripture, and especially in those first few chapters is the voice of God. God says this, God says that the voice of God. And, um, and because it's the voice of God creating things, there's uh, an implication here. If When you speak, when you say something, it means that you have thought first, right? Yeah. I mean, basically your words are vocalized thought. Right. Right. 
So the implication is that God, since he made it by his word, it, we, we understand that it was planned. Right. So add that to what human beings do. We plan things and then we make separate name. That is, we order things yeah. and we evaluate it and we say, this is good. This is good. In Genesis chapter two, we find out there's something that's not good. Yeah. It's not good for man to be alone. Right. Right. So over and over again, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's very good. And then we see this thing before woman is made, it's just Adam and it's not good for man to be alone. So God um, brings the animals to, to Adam. Adam names them all again, showing that he's exercising dominion and then uh, uh, puts him in a sleep, takes out the rib, forms Eve. And, um, and then in Genesis chapter two, the very first words of a human being ever recorded in the scripture is Adam ordering his words mm -hmm. into a poem. He breaks out in poetry when he sees his wife, right? It's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, right? Yeah. And, na and names her. And, and, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. So we have this ability to order things um, in a way that uh, is good. Mm -hmm. That is um, that it, 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 it does what it's meant to do. Yeah. It fulfills its purpose. When I'm, when I grab a coffee mug off of my shelf to put hot coffee in it, I expect that it's not going to drip. Yeah. I expect it's going to hold it. Yeah. It's going to keep its, it, its warmth. And when I put my hands around it on a cold winter day, it's going to warm my hands a little bit, but not burn it. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah. and I, and I can drink it. And it's just yummy. It's good. Yeah. It's, it's good. Um, and so this is, this was the destiny of human beings. This is why God made us is to have dominion. And we exercise that dominion through this creative process of planning of, of making and ordering and evaluating. Mm -hmm. Right. So in Genesis two, he had put man in the garden, uh, to till it, to take care of it, to guard it, you know, and, and to take the garden and, um, and, and expand it. Yeah. Right. And the, the destiny of human beings, you see, as you look to the end of the Bible, you look at Revelation and you see heaven coming to earth. Yeah. And it's described as a garden city. Yeah, right? right. So there's this there's this progress of culture making that human beings do in their dominion. And it's and it could be good. Yeah. Right. Now, the, the problem, of course, is sin. And I know that's you're going to ask me about that. Well, <laughs> you go ahead and ask me, Noah. Well, well, for, before we get into that, and I certainly would love to, Mr. Young, my question is this, is how should we as Christians understand a good life? Because if the definition of good is something that's fulfilling its purpose for us as Christians, that would mean that we're living out our days, you know, seeking to know God and to make him known. And then if the number one you know, talking, talking about ordering things, if the number one priority in our lives is God, uh, what should the second be? Is it community? Is it family? Is it self? Um, you know, what does that look like? I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a good question. Um, I, I think one is, is understanding that our purpose, our purpose as um, human beings is to have 
this dominion. Yeah. It's a, it's a mandate, right? Yeah. You're to fill the earth and, and you're to, to have dominion over it. And, and that mandate didn't go away after sin. Yeah. Nor did it go away after Christ came back from the dead. And when he, when he, in fact, before he ascends to heaven to sit at the right hand, he tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey whatsoever he's commanded us. Yeah. Right. It's this idea of if we are teaching people to obey the commands of Christ, we're, we're teaching them to, to exercise their dominion under the authority of our King, who is Jesus Christ. And that that dominion that we're exercising um, in obedience to him is going to be good. Now, when sin came into the world, when, when, when we decided that we wanted to um, abandon uh, God's word. And, and let, let, me, let me go into that a little bit. Genesis chapter three. If you see what's going on in the serpent, mm-hmm. the serpent is coming to Eve and asking questions of her mm-hmm. in such a way for her to mistrust what God's word was. God's word was don't eat of this tree. Or you will surely die. Yeah. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. And and what the serpent was trying to do using half truths was getting her to mistrust that word. And so not to listen to the word of God, which said that voice that told them not to eat of it. Mm-hmm. And she looked at it and saw that it was good to make her wise, that she could be like God, knowing good from evil. Now let me give you Mr. Young's interpretation of this. And I I think I'm uh, right on this. (laughs) And that is this. We're talking about moral autonomy. What, what is being offered by disobeying God and eating of that fruit is the ability for a man to decide for themselves what is good and evil. Yeah. Rather than continue to trust the word of God. And ever since uh, Eve ate of that and gave it to her husband who was right with her, and they ate together, uh, the, the human heart desires to do what the human heart wants, to be able to try to justify what they, they do, mm-hmm. right? That, that I'm going to determine for myself what is right and wrong, independent of what God says. And even if God says something and I don't like it, I'm going to, I'm going to do what I want anyway. Yeah. Or I'm going to try to justify myself. Well, the, that scripture doesn't really apply to me because I'm special. Um, actually no one, no one ever says that that's just what act they actually mean. Um, cause when they justify themselves, that's what they're saying is that they're somehow unique. Yeah. This doesn't apply to me. I'm, this is unique. God doesn't know what he's talking about in this particular situation because I'm different. Well, that's hogwash, right? It's, it's, it's the voice of God that had made everything is the same voice that tells us what is right and wrong. And, and we have rebelled against it. So in our exercise of dominion, rather than following God's voice, his word, we are doing it on our own. Mm-hmm. And, and that leads to all sorts of chaos. It leads to all sorts of evils and, and all sorts of problems. And when there's a lot of evils and problems and chaos, the human instinct apart from God is to try to, to, to establish an order um, through force to establish an order through, through ways that are going to prevent human freedom 
because that human freedom has gone beyond its bounds. And, and in doing and imposing that order, it is often more evil than what it was before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and all that's really needed is, and you see this in the testimony of scripture time and time again, uh, with the, with Israel in the desert, with Israel in the time of the judges, with Israel, even under the time of the Kings is this people need to stop and repent and follow God's word once again, Mm -hmm. right. To order their lives around what God has said. And we can't do it on our own. We're, we're separated from God. We can't come up with, well, this, I'm sure this is what God would mean. We have to actually listen to what God's word says, his Bible, as it has been written to us and given to us, we study his word and order our lives around what it says. Yeah. I don't determine what's good or evil. I don't judge what the word says. The word judges me. Yeah. Right. So, so when I look at it and I go, Oh, I don't like this. This doesn't sound very good. This doesn't (laughs) sound like it's providing equity for the, you know, the whoever, whatever victim class there is or whatever it might be. It that's, that's beside the point. I can't impose my judgment upon scriptures saying somehow like I know better than God. Mm-hmm. What, what needs to happen is, and it only really happens if you really come to trust and know Jesus as your savior is that the scripture becomes that thing that judges us. It's, it's the one that tells us that we're wrong. It's the one that tells us we need to change, that we need to repent, that we need to order our lives in ways that are different. Mm-hmm. And, and so we need to be obedient to the, to the word of God. In fact, what's interesting is when you see after they sin and they are, they realize they're naked, their eyes are open, yeah. Adam and Eve they're in the garden, they, they understand their nakedness. This nakedness is more than just not having clothes on. Yeah. It, it has this idea of being vulnerable uh, to God and to his wrath. Yeah. And so their natural instinct then uh, of in their nakedness and is to hide from God and to try to s- clothe themselves, to cover themselves, right? Yeah. This idea of self-justification. I'm, I'm going to uh, try to make myself not vulnerable. I'm going to cover myself and hide. And God goes out calling for them. Where are you? Right. Yeah. And, and you'll see, you'll see that God is the over and over again. God is always the one that pursues sinful man. It, it, man is the one that hides. We human beings hide from God. We try to cover ourselves. God keeps pursuing us, asking us questions, trying to invite us into relationship, trying to get us to, to repent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To admit that that we're wrong and that we blew it. And over and over again, the story of scripture is we, we want to hide yeah, and we want to justify ourselves and it doesn't work. And so, um, so in the, the, this voice, it says the, the voice of God walks in the garden and they go hide. And then when, when God goes and addresses uh, um, Adam, he says, you listen to, because you listen to the voice of your wife. Now th- this can be taken way out of context. I don't, I don't know if anyone's ever done this and said, well, the scripture says we shouldn't listen to our wives. Right. <laughs> Cause that's not the lesson. The lesson here is this is because Adam listened to another voice, right? Yes. Eve listened to the voice of the serpent rather than God's voice. Mm-hmm. Adam listened to the voice of his wife rather than God's voice. And that's the mess they're in. Yeah. And because of that, death has come into the world. 
and pain has come into the world. It's been increased in all life-giving and sustaining activities. Life is painful. And that, that Hebrew word for pain has, has this uh, understanding of anxiety, right? So, that, so pain, you know, giving birth before the fall would have hurt, right? Yeah. But now after the fall, you know, before the fall, if, you, if Eve would have had babies, everything would have been fine. You'd know you'd have a, you know, there would have been fruitfulness. Adam, in a sense, plants the seed and the woman has a baby and it's going to be healthy and happy. And so is she and everyone's going to live. And it's going to be great, even though it hurt. Right. But the increase of pain comes with this anxiety. Now we don't know. Yeah. Is the baby going to survive? Is the woman going to survive? Okay. We don't know. Right. It's anxious. Adam's going to plant seeds in the garden or in the field. Is he going to have a crop? We don't know. Right. So there's this anxiousness and, and scripture again, over and over again, how do we come to a point? where we're not anxious, where we're not worried about things, where life isn't filled with this pain. Yeah. And it comes from trusting him, trusting the word of God and living according to it. Thus a flourishing life. Right. 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 A flourishing life where we're not hiding from God. We're listening to him. We're seeking to obey him. And when we have sinned, we're not running from him or self-justifying. We're simply confessing that we're seeking forgiveness from him that we're restored to communion with him and, and living this life that's flourishing. Um, it burns, it hurts, but it's good. Yeah. Right. So our dominion and going back to whole dominion is, is this ordering of a life of creating a life together with others. Yeah. That's going to be um, obedient to his word. That's going to in, include this way to evaluate things based upon what God's word said to be able to say truly, this is good. Yes. And, and if it's, and if it's not good to be able to say it's not good. <laughs> right. Right. It's not good. And so we need to change it. We need to, we need to make something that is good. It's, it's like in the first episode I talked about dancing, right. Or a place where, where, what are we doing with young people? How are they going to meet other people? How are other Christians or how are they? Right. And we don't do anything. So they, they find out whatever the popular culture is doing. Yeah. Because we're sitting around doing nothing. Well, and my question is this, and perhaps this is a good closing thought is what about dominion over oneself? Because, you know, with, when one exercises dominion and, you know, wise rule or ordering of the earth with great power, and that is a a powerful thing comes great responsibility. And certainly that can cause people anxiety. So how does one have dominion over oneself? (laughs) Excellent. Yeah. And in fact, that's the first lesson right? It has, um, okay. So this is going to sound weird. The assumption is, is that most of our audience are adults. Yeah. I'm going to assume that a lot of you guys are even parents, right? So hopefully you've learned to order yourself (laughs) to have dominion over yourself. Okay. But really that that's the lesson of childhood, right? From, from, uh, what a child wants to do is do what he wants to do or she wants to do. That's what it means to be a child. When you grow, as Apostle Paul says, and I became a man, I put away childish things, right? We have to have this ability to master ourselves, uh, to have dominion over ourselves. In other words, despite my desire 
to do something else, yeah. I must do the good thing. Despite my desire to run away from this good thing because I'm afraid of it, I must have the courage to do the right thing, even though I'm afraid. Right. Yeah. The, these are virtues and, and they are, they are virtues are something that cannot be simply taught. They have to be uh, become habit. Right. So as a, as an educator at Providence Academy, we're trying to teach virtue. We can teach intellectual virtue. We can teach what it means to know something. We can teach uh, how to derive truth from truth. So you have an understanding of things. Uh, we can even teach wisdom. How do you, how do you evaluate things and, um, you know, prioritize one truth over another? We can teach those things. Yeah. But we can't teach courage. You have to be, do something courageous in order to learn courage. Yeah. You, you have to be able to um, uh, discipline yourself to not give in to this temptation to do something else instead of your homework. <laughs> right. <laughs> Precisely. For, you know, and so this is, so habit training is something that parents must do with their children um, starting at a very young age. You know, and and if you don't get it at a young age, then your whole life becomes a struggle. Right. And my advice is if you're a young person, say you're outside of the home already, say you're you're, you know, in your 20s or something or late teens and early 20s and you're looking at yourself and going, man. I do not have dominion over myself. I still act like a child. Yeah. Right. You weren't. you weren't in an environment that was teaching you to become a man or a, a right environment to teach you to become a woman. You, you, you have perpetuated adolescence and you're still a, you know, a kid and you shouldn't be right. right. So what I'm, I'm saying for you guys, what I would suggest is you go to your church, you go to one of your pastors or elders and you ask, how can I be discipled? Right. Ask them um, who they should uh, uh, talk to to be discipled, because, you know, by now you should be grown up. And, and that, that grown up this needs has to do with dominion over yourself. Yeah. Right. I, I like, um, uh, you know, and I might quote him from time to time. Jordan Peterson is a, a psychologist. Yeah. And, and I remember him saying something like, uh, you know, people who can't get their own a bedroom in order shouldn't be telling everyone else how to live. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So, so the idea is, is that um, it, it is, it's a necessary part of growing up to um, be disciplined uh, to be able to have dominion over your, your desires, dominion over your feelings, dominion over your, your thoughts in order to, enter into a life of adulthood where you're fulfilling your obligations to God, to your family, to your neighbor. And until you, until you have that dominion, or at least yeah. a, a, a pretty, a pretty, um, a pretty good dominion over yourself, then it's really going to be hard. You're bringing that into say a, a relationship and it's just going to mess things up. Yeah. So, so do yourself a favor, go talk to your pastor elders, and say, I, I need to grow up in the Lord and I need to find someone who will mentor me 
disciple me so that you can grow up and get on with your life in a good way? Well, those of us in the classical tradition, partaking in the classical tradition, are particularly fond of books, old books nonetheless. So, uh, Mr. Young, if there is somebody listening who maybe feels uh, out of control, they haven't ordered their lives properly, and let's say they're in their 20s and they're listening, do you have a book? I mean, the Bible's obviously a great source, but the Bible is a great one. Yeah, that they would um, benefit from Boy. exploring. So, yeah, there. <laughs> There are a lot of, there are a lot of good books yeah. and uh, of the books, <laughs> there, there are many, I, I, I would say, I mean, one thing is, I mean, you could simply go back to Aristotle's ethics yeah, and, and read Aristotle's ethics. This, this is not saying uh, now from a Christian perspective, you, you have to bring wisdom to it and it's probably best to read it uh, not alone. Right. Um, but it begins to break down things into definitions that even the church has used for years in terms of what virtue is. Yeah. Uh, what does it mean to be good? What does it mean to, um, you, you know, to, to, to live a temperate life? How does, uh, how does virtue, um, how does that relate to happiness? Yeah. Right. So, so that's one, I mean, I'm trying to think of a good, easy Christian book. And I guess if it's easy, it's probably not worth you reading. <laughs>